Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to Career Insights 501. Today we have Angelique Williams with us and she is a serial entrepreneur and she's going to talk to us about her varied careers and um, what she has going on today. So Angelique, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, no problem. So how have you been doing? You know, I finally landed. I've been doing a lot of traveling and I'm at home for six weeks and I'm very excited to not get on a plane. The jet setter life sounds fun as a kid until you do it and then yeah, it does a lot to you. Traveling can be, it does, yeah. Traveling can be um, quite the task sometimes or a pain sometimes depending on how much of it you have to do. Um, mm -hmm. So could you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So again, my name is Angelique Williams. I go by Angelique or Angie. Uh, my background, I'm a San Francisco native. I am an ultra chameleon because I am the youngest of 11 children. I have five older brothers and five older sisters. So, oh, wow. yes. So that is survival mode <laughs> in its highest capacity. Um, and so because of that, I think that's lent itself to sort of having a different varied career set because I've had 10 larger than life personalities around me. I tell people I was raised by wolves because I was. Um, but my background is in architecture. Listen, you had to be there. Um, my background is in architecture. That's what my bachelor is, is in. Um, my master's in real estate development. I did my master's in New York City. I moved back to the Bay Area. I did that. I did workforce housing, affordable housing, market rate housing. But I am a creative person by nature. And the only reason I went to grad school is because I have a nerve disorder in my hand. So I can't dress full time because I can lose all feeling in my hand. So didn't want to do that. But I found out one semester left in school, which wonderful timing. Um, and so I went to real estate development. Good at it. Very good at it, but incredibly boring. Um, and so while I was doing uh, development, I started my own company. Uh, it was an app called My Umbrella for the queer community. It was basically like a queer Facebook. Um, transitioned that to a blog in 2020 when the pandemic started. Um, I've worked at a national nonprofit that supports queer entrepreneurs with mentorship, access to capital, helping them grow their businesses. Um, and then last year, um, a year ago tomorrow, uh, the sky fell and my mom died and everything oh, sorry to hear that. changed. Yeah, it was, um, I've battled a lot of things and a lot of goals and overcome a lot of adversity and grief is my greatest opponent. I've yet to beat it. And so I just mm -hmm. work with it the best that I can. Um, and so, yeah, I, quit my job. I moved to Florida. I live by the beach now. I relax. Um, it forced me to finish a novel I was working on because why not? And also uh, develop a course on toxic ambition to help people like me that have so many passions and are so creative and drive themselves into the ground for said passions when that is not actually necessary. But we do it because as creative people, we kind of don't know any other way but to go all in on it. But when you do that, you risk mm -hmm. everything here, your health, your emotions, your finances, your mental state. So that's a roundabout way to say, hi, I'm Angie. This is me. <laughs> <laughs> Great introduction. That was uh, a lot. Um... I wanted to ask you about, you said toxic ambition, correct? Yes. And you created a course around that. Um, I don't know. For me, it's just like, I feel like it's kind of like personal. I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to say that I'm toxically ambitious, but um, I kind of get where you're coming from. But I want to say, I want to say, do you think that people who are creative, who are stuck in 
I guess corporate roles struggle uh, a lot creatively because I, I find my job like really, really boring uh, compared to what I thought I was be, would be doing. And just kind of like sitting at a computer all day, clicking and dragging a couple of things and going to meetings and just kind of like, oh my God, how do I get out of this? So were you ever at that? Like, what, was that pretty much you? Oh my God, yes. Um, January 2022, I lost my voice for a week because I had 34 meetings in eight business days. Oh, wow. And my voice just, it left. Like, it just completely just tapped out. It was like, no, nah, we're not doing this. But I, I absolutely do think that mm. creative people in general do struggle in corporate environments because what inspires us doesn't exist in the cubicle. You know, you have to go outside, mm. you have to, you know, go look at art, you have to interact with people, you have to travel and see things, you have to go explore or, you know, listen to music or whatever it is. And that's what, at least in my experience and people that I know, you know, provides that creative spark and that joy. And when you're sitting in the same four walls, clicking and clicking and living inside of a screen, that isn't, you know, Canva or Illustrator or After Effects. It's literally your email and internet and documents that you have to read yeah. and sign probably. <laughs> that's, that's not sparking yeah. any creativity except <laughs> how can I get out of work today? How can I go home? <laughs> like, or if you really hate your job, how can I get yeah. fired? Like, you know, like, that's, you know, so that's, that's the only creativity you have is how can I, how can I still get paid while still making them want yeah, to escape plan. very, very soon. So, so yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. That was, that was my life for sure. Yeah. So I do want to go back and talk about your education a little bit more because, um, you said architecture and then grad school was what again? Real estate development. Real estate um, development. Okay, so those those two things correlate. How was college for for you? Oh man, um, college for me. So, so I went to I went to an art school. Um, architecture is considered the art of buildings. Um, architecture. Mm -hmm. Some in some edition in the past decade, architecture was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's hardest major. Um, so yay, I have a record mm. along with a million other mm. schmucks that have the <laughs> same degree and suffered. Uh, but that's fine. Um, so what that meant for me was I had 12 to 15 hour days at school all the time, working constantly. I didn't have the traditional college party life that just didn't exist at our school. Um, so it was always being in studio, always working. I worked part-time during school. Um, I took summer classes. I took weekend classes. I did too much in college that wasn't enjoying college. I just did all of the things. I was always in a rush to get there, whatever there is, right? Air quotes. Um, I had my first shot of you need to slow down when I was 19 and I had a tumor and I found it myself and then I told my mom and uh, my family has a history of, of breast cancer so we said we gotta go so I went to the doctor and she's like what's your major she's like you need to calm down I'm like do you know what my major is that's not possible and she's like well because right. <laughs> you know do you want to live or do you want to do your assignment? And I was like, oh, well, okay. So we, so we got it taken out. And that was it. kind of my first, I mean, she was very, she's a very good surgeon, very hard nose. And I said, if you had a daughter my age, what would you mm -hmm. do? And she said, I do have a daughter your age and I would take it out. And I said, okay, we're taking it out. Let's go. Um, mm -hmm. And that was yeah. my first sort of wake up call, but Clearly, I had to take a few more lumps on the way to <laughs> have it really stick. The tumor wasn't enough, apparently. You know, the lifelong scar I have from this was not enough for me to realize you need to take your foot off the gas some. So it, it was 
yeah. I would like to say college was fun. We made fun from what we could, but I didn't really enjoy it as much as I think I could have. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that TV or I guess movie experience that you see when people go to college and they have all the fun. No, no, that was grad school. <laughs> that was a very different. Oh, okay. that was very different. <laughs> I think we're on the same okay. page with that because my undergrad, I, I went to um, like summer school every summer. I went to like some May masters. I was taking like at least eighteen hours. I changed my major like five times. So my undergrad years, I was like, man, I really didn't have like the college experience, kind of like a lot of people. Um, had. So I look back now and I kind of regret it because I don't really have all the cool stories that a lot of people had when they were in undergrad. So it's like, oh, well. Right, exactly. We have all the we debt have nerdy with everybody stories. else, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I guess that I, I, I guess that really didn't translate too much into your um, your work since you are a um, self-proclaimed serial entrepreneur. Um, could you talk a little bit more about your different um, entrepreneur endeavors that you've had over the years? Yes, yes, I can. And to explain some of the later things, we kind of got to back all the way up to like childhood. So okay. I, I adored uh Robin Williams and Lucille Ball growing up. Those are my favorite humans. Still some of my mm -hmm. favorite humans to ever walk the planet. Um, I got to meet Robin once, actually, mm -hmm. twice, actually. I made him laugh. I could die then. My life would have been oh, perfect. Nice. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> I wanted to be an actress. That didn't happen. Uh, yes. <laughs> Me too, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to be an actress growing up. And... I would watch scenes and I would reenact them. But then when I went to watch, like, TV is fine, but I really wanted to be in movies. And when I watched movies, the only people that had the same skin tone as me was Halle Berry and Gabrielle Union. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that's not me. So I guess I can't do that. So I, mm -hmm. like, switched and went into, like, writing and wanted to be a director. And, you know, I had this fear that a lot of creatives do that they'll run out of creativity. And so whatever. Anyway, so that mm. got dropped out. Um, but yeah, so my moving forward into adulthood, I uh, majored in architecture. Uh, like I said, I had that freak injury. So I have an ulnar nerve issue, so I can't draft. And so I tried to defy my doctors and practice it anyway. That did not work. They are right. I would have killed my hands. Um, to some extent, I did, mm -hmm. but you know. I learned the hard way, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I went to real estate development. While mm -hmm. I was there, I started my app. Oh, what happened after that? Um, I started my app. I wrote a queer romance novel while I was traveling in 2021. I built an online course about toxic ambition. And I most recently have gotten roped into building a safety app um, for college campuses to like report crime and provide a more safe space. Um, on the side from that, I guess, this is true, I also uh, co-founded uh, one of the founding chapters for Black Women Talk Tech, which is a national organization. And then most recently here, I got roped into leadership for uh, an affinity group called Black Girl Boss, which is a subcategory uh, or subgroup of St. Pete Girl Boss, which is for female entrepreneurs. So a lot of random things. A lot of things that just mm -hmm. kind of happened and flowed. And I think there's, a, at some point, I realized that, yes, I've been classically trained to design and get buildings built, but I'm good at a lot of things. And just because I don't have a degree in those things doesn't mean I can't do it. So that is, that's, that's what I've learned. That's so the biggest takeaway of. Being a serial entrepreneur is just like do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would I would definitely think that's something. I mean, just where I'm at now with my my thing, you just have to just do it and learn a lot of different things. I wanted to ask you though, how did you get into the app 
development? Was it just something you said, oh, I want to try to create an app and you just did it? So yes and no, yes and no. Um, <laughs> I took a, in high school, I took a coding class um, on Saturday for college credit because of course I did. You've been listening to the episode. Of course I did that. Um, why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? And again, I learned that I'm good at coding, but I do not like doing it. I do not like doing it. And that was before you could put your code into a reader and it would tell you the error and you go fix it. No, no, no. This is back in the day when you had to like read the thousands of lines to find. No, wasn't for me. Um, and so when I was working in development, my boss wanted to create an app for intakes for our clients to make things more efficient. And so he told me, oh, you're smart enough. Go research this and put a spec together to build an app. I said, okay. And so I did all the research. I put, I did like the mock-ups and everything. I present, I presented it, that presented it to him, got bids for it only for him to turn around and say, we don't have the budget for this. After I spent like three oh months God. doing this, like, sir, what? Again, how can I actively get? Yeah. Fired? That's where we started. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, but when it, so when it came to my app, so a couple of things happened. It was a really um, confluence of events. So I realized that I hated my job, like what I did and where I worked. Um, I realized that too. I realized that I kind of lost my queer circle of friends just through growing up or apart or moving, whatever. And I was engaged at the time, not anymore, thankfully. Um, I was engaged at the time and the only, place, the only place to meet people were at bars and on dating apps, which an engaged person shouldn't be spending their time there, at least significant amounts of time. And then uh, my younger cousin right. um, was uh, tragically killed in, in June of uh, 2016, 2016, yes. And so, and I was thinking like, you know, there's losses you expect in life, you know, your grandparents or parents, but your siblings are kind of a crapshoot. Your cousins are a crapshoot. You know, he was 19. I was, I was 26. And it was just, yeah, it was, we, we had seen each other the day before. It was just bizarre. And, um, I think about a week mm -hmm. or two later, um, Mike Pence became the vice presidential nominee. And at the time he was one of the few politicians I knew outside of California and DC because of his anti LGBT stance. And I was completely freaked out about this. And my friends who were mostly straight could not understand why I was freaked out. And I just, at the time I went online, I was looking, I just found people ranting on Twitter or ranting on Reddit. And I just like, I want to talk to these people, but I don't know how, and I don't know why it's so hard for me to find people that get what I'm talking about. And then I sat down and I said, well, we took coding. We know enough to be dangerous. We went to school to design. We as in my conscience and myself. <laughs> we went to school to yeah. uh, learn how to design very well. We went to grad school to learn how to launch a venture. And you just wasted three months of your life specking out an app for your job. So all of that together, you can do this. You can do this. This is architecture. Yeah. You draw a pretty picture and you make it stand in real life. That is literally the definition of architecture. That's what it is. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I have a decent business mind just from watching it all. And so that's that's how we jump into the wild world of, of apps. And for anybody out there, Jesus Christ, building an app is the most expensive way to start anything. I just, just, Jesus, just save yourself. Save yourself. Like do a web app, do a website, just don't build them native. It's unless you have a gajillion dollars, do something that's cross platform between Android and iOS. You didn't ask me for that advice, but I'm just going to give it. because. No, I think God. that's great advice. Hi, this is Angelique Williams and you're listening to Career Insights 501 with Dr. Loso. Oh, I wanted to ask you, um, like, how did you cope with being stuck in like these different jobs that you didn't like? I had, I held on to 
goals that I was conditioned and raised to want. So I had a 10 year plan at 17. And again, you've been listening. Of course I did. Of course I had a 10 year plan at 17. I finished it when I was 23. So I made a four year plan because of course I did. Like, why wouldn't you just sit and be happy that you did the things? Like, no, let's just move the goalpost. Let's just move it again. Like, you want the gold medal at the Olympics? Let's go to the intergalactic Olympics now. Like, let's go there. <laughs> um, you know, it's always doing too much. And so uh, I made a four-year plan. And part of that was, you know, in the American lens, you're raised to, you know, go to college, get a good job, buy a house, live in the suburbs, get married, white picket fence, two kids, a dog that whole thing into my family, I won't say my whole family, mostly my father and my father's side of the family. They're very money and image mm-hmm. focused. And we were raised to see that as the ultimate thing. And so um, I got laid off my architecture job and then I got my development job that paid me like, I don't know, like 50% more or something crazy. Um, eventually became double what I was making oh, as an wow. architect because architects don't get paid any money. Fun fact. Um, lots of torture, hardest major in the world, one of the worst <laughs> starting salaries <laughs> of a white collar job. Um, Jesus. And I thought, oh, great, great. I can save. I can save for a house. And so I worked and I saved and I was super strict with myself because that was the goal was to buy the house, was to buy the engagement ring, was to do all of those things. Um, and you know, that's, again, it's, it's one of those, we talked about it earlier, um, kind of, how do you know if you're being toxic is, is you're holding onto something that drains you, but does the end justify the means? Like, did you really want that? You know what I mean? Did you really want this goal or were you just so focused and then you just got on the path? And you step on the hamster wheel and now you're on the hamster wheel and you have no idea how to stop it and you're too afraid to jump off. And you know, that, yeah. that was my life. I and I know I know exactly what my life would have been. If I had stayed in development, I know exactly the path, the titles, the salaries, all of those things. I know what it would have been. I wouldn't have I would have never been ultra rich, but I never would have been poor. I would have been very comfortable and hyper stressed. And I just, yeah. I just don't want it. Yeah. I just don't. <laughs> so I know we had mentioned that briefly before, you know, we started recording about, um, you know, the expectations of what we're told that we want. How do you think that plays out in today's society versus maybe, or today's youth versus um, when you were growing up? Because I think from, for me, um, you know, personally, I think that it, I always tell people it was just like go to college and you know this whole corporate um thing to strive to but i feel like maybe now um younger generations aren't necessarily drinking the kool-aid so to speak and they are looking for more fulfillment from life and not just work but then you get on instagram and you see everybody in gucci and lv so i don't really know what's going on yeah, I, it was funny. I was actually talking to a colleague earlier just about millennials and Gen Z. And I personally hate the phrase millennial. I just feel like we just skipped Y for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have Gen X and then Gen Z and then we're just. <laughs> why did you skip why did, Y? You know, it's, it's like millennial makes it sound like I was born in 2000. I wasn't. I was born in the 80s. Give me some respect, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, right. <laughs> but that's a different that's a different podcast for a different day. Um <laughs> but you know it's 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 interesting um you know my colleague Kristen and I were just talking and she said you know we're the first generation that wants to break the cycle that's trying to actively heal it's trying to really ask why instead of just doing as we're told and then never questioning it you know our parents did and some of them did some of them did the work and broke out but a lot of them you know they stayed at a job they hated for 40 years it never appreciated them because it's what you did. You stayed in the marriage that was awful for the three right. kids, because that's what you did, you know? And so mm-hmm. we have the benefit of choice. And I feel that our disadvantage is that we don't have anybody to look to. 
We didn't have our parents to show us how to do that. We mm. had each other fumbling through this healing process. Yeah. But then you have Gen Z because we were born with pre-internet, post-internet, and mm-hmm. then social media. Like, I, I know how to use a rotary phone. Mm-hmm. I know I called Mr. Movie Phone. You know, I know exactly. all, all the things, you know, like it's just all of these little, I remember Fandango with the pop, with the, with the popcorn bags when that first came out, like, you know, caller ID, yeah. it was, it was just amazing. <laughs> the obsession with like clear phones and star things like nine. that. It was, yes, star six, nine, star six, seven, stealth three-way calling. It was amazing. <laughs> it's, what a time to be alive, you know, <laughs> just any Gen Z listening, listening today. Yeah. Any Gen Z people listening to this, just know that if Twitter had been popping when Flavor of Love was on MTV, the internet would have broken. <laughs> would have, it right. wouldn't even exist because it was such a phenomenon that only we remember. There's no historical tweets to talk about it. It's just our memories. Amazing. But Gen Z. Just our memories. They are born with... <laughs> They're, they're born with a microphone. You know, they're born with Instagram. They're born mm-hmm. with, with Snapchat. They're born with TikTok. And to some extent, they have the greatest double-edged sword because while we didn't have, we don't have a blueprint on how to heal and choose our own path, they both have like equal opportunity to kind of carve out whatever niche they really want for themselves. But because of that, they also fall prey to that sin of comparison in that you know, for me, I see, oh, someone at 28 did blah, blah, blah. And I feel kind of shitty. Like, oh my God, they're five years younger than me. And they did that. But for them, it's like, oh, this 12 year old is a millionaire. You know, you shouldn't be stressed about this at 12. (laughs) Like, you know, like that just wasn't, that wasn't, I don't even know what I was stressed out about when I was 12, but it wasn't about being an influencer. And so- On one hand, they have so so many different opportunities, but it's, I think there's a a harder sense of individuality of, you know, if I don't Mm -hmm. do this, I'm not with the group, but if I do do this, then I'm not as good as like the upper tier of the group. So it's, they're kind of really between a rock and a hard place of being a loner or Mm -hmm. being another Instagram model or TikToker or NFT or whatever they're doing now. So yeah. It's, it's tough. I don't, in some ways, socially, some things have gotten so much easier for them, but then in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. career-wise and money-wise, it's gotten so much harder. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love the way that you put that when you said, um, like our generation, the millennials, we um, we're the first to break that cycle. So I tell people this all the time. And I just had a guest on here a couple of weeks ago and I told them that um, I feel like our generation is a transitional generation because like to your point, we um, were the first to start questioning the traditions and norms and breaking away from those things. And we grew up with all the old school stuff and transitioned with the technology into where it's at now, but it wasn't our life, we were still doing the old school stuff. We were doing our thing. And then we were uh, doing the new school stuff to to some extent as well. Or we could, we could see kind of like where the younger generation are coming from with some of the issues. Um, but I didn't think about that whole like mending piece and like helping each other cope with it. So I, I, I think that's a great thing to point out because a lot of times, yeah, like the older generation don't really get where we're coming from sometimes. And then the younger generation thinks that we're just old dinosaurs. It's like, oh, why are you doing that? Or why don't you just do that? So <laughs> they don't really get the whole struggle of trying to break away from mm-hmm. the, yeah, Why don't the you just, so, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the phrase. Why don't you just, yeah. Why don't I just, I don't know. Um, exactly. trauma. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unlike you, like, like we, like, unlike us, you haven't had to go through a terror, like have memories of a terrorist attack, a recession, a global pandemic, another recession, on three-ish wars and constant lu- nuclear threats. Like, right. you, you grew up with Yo Gabba Gabba, like fam, calm it down. Like, you're fine. <laughs> like, like the pandemic is actually probably the first big thing to affect you. We're on like crisis four. 
there shouldn't be that yeah. much in two decades. Like, <laughs> not for one generation trying to grow up. That's right. insane. <laughs> Half our lives. <laughs> um. So I want to go back to your app, your um, LGBTQ plus app. Um, you mentioned earlier that it went from an actual app to a blog. So what happened in between that um, process? Was it just too much to maintain? Because I know you went and talked about how much, you know, resources it takes to um, build a, a native app. Yeah, it is incredibly uh incredibly expensive to build and maintain and kind of push um, along with all the fees and things like that. But what really happened was it was 2019. Um, I was building mm -hmm. the app. We had great traction. We were going into this B2B model. I was having meetings with Procter and Gamble and, and all these other large organizations and oh, wow. it was going well. And I was so unhappy with the direction. Like, I'm like, Oh, it's finally getting the traction I want, but I, I don't, I don't think I like this and I didn't know how to stop. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was, um, I had another freak accident this time. I actually know how I was ax throwing. Um, and I threw my ax too hard because I was full of a lot of rage around the way my life was going. And I felt like a little pop in my leg and mm -hmm. I didn't think too much about it, but a couple of weeks later, I couldn't mm -hmm. stand up. I couldn't walk. I was in so much pain. Um, and I was on the couch for six months. I could not do anything. I had a torn pelvic ligament. It is so, so painful. So, so painful. Mm -hmm. Zero out of five stars. Do not recommend. It's awful. Sounds like it. Um, yeah. And at that time, zero I... <laughs> zero. Negative one. But, like, <laughs> at the time, I was laying laying down and I was thinking, um, but just about my life, just where I had, you know, I couldn't get off the wheel, the wheel threw me off. And I was thinking about my life and how I got here mm -hmm. and all the different steps. And I wasn't happy and I was gonna shut my company down. And literally I had the paperwork printed out, I signed it and it was like December 20 something. And I had to mail it before the 31st because then you get taxed for the next year. And Literally, I was just in too much pain to get myself to my car and go to the mailbox. And so, you know, I'm driven by money in the frugal way, not in the accumulation, in the expenditure. So since I was paying my taxes for 2020 now, now I had to, um, I sat on it, put it on the shelf. The pandemic started and my friends in tech were hitting me up saying, hey, this is the time you know, if you really want connection, you should still, you shouldn't dump it, blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't know. And I looked at it and I said, did I try everything? If I tried everything and it didn't work, I can walk away knowing I left it on the field. And I didn't try the one thing that I originally wanted to do, which people that were quote unquote smarter than me and more experienced at the time said wouldn't work. And that was having it as a blog and a blog was much cheaper. I know how to build websites did a whole redesign of the site, built it from a landing page to download an app to a full, fully built out blog with guest writers and categories and things like that. And we launched it and it was, lo and behold, it was successful <laughs> and could have saved myself nice. a lot of money and pain. Had I done that the first time, <laughs> but you know, that, that's how that transition happened. It was, it was, I, I was literally done. I was, I had made peace with it. I had accepted it. Mm -hmm. And then we decided to breathe one last, you know, pump of life into it to see what happened. And, and people, people loved it. Long form expression is not dead, despite what people tell you. Mm -hmm. And that's still up and going now? It's still up. It's still live. Um, I have sat on it since my mom died. Um, I have, mm -hmm. I'm still deciding if I want to revive it in active uh, submissions in the future. I'm waiting for that answer to come to me. I don't want to make any rash decisions or spin myself up in too much responsibility again. Um, but even if it does not mm -hmm. ever come back live, I believe in paying for the hosting and the domain. 
till I die because I think a lot of these stories are still right. very valid. We still have a lot of people coming to visit and you know hear stories about transitioning or coming out in a small town or overseas and it still adds value. And so I think whether or not it comes to life mm-hmm. again, it will always have its footprint in place on the internet. So mm-hmm. TBD. Did you want to tell the name of it? Uh, it's My Umbrella. You it's can find it at myumbrella.co. Hmm? Okay, cool. Um, and I can drop a link to that too in the description when I do all this stuff so they can go and check it out. People can go and check it out and read what's up there. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of good content. Um, a lot of good no, content, a lot your... of great writers. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at your profile and you were honored in the May, June issue of um, 2002 issue of Essence magazine. That's quite a, a feat. I, I feel like Essence used to be such a big cultural thing for the black people back in the day with the magazine. You know, um, I feel mm-hmm. like it was one of the few like quality magazines that were, were put out for us or um I guess they all were. I don't want. I don't want to diminish any. But you get. You know. You get what I'm saying. Like one of the more elite mm-hmm. black magazines. Yeah. Um, Every so black you want to talk about it. that a little bit? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it was honestly. You know, I was doing another um, another interview today, and and we we're talking about legacy. And I think about that more than the mm-hmm. average person, especially as a child. I thought about it a lot. Um, and my grandparents used to live by this phrase that live in such a way that if someone talks badly about you and you're not in the room, the person listening doesn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And I've always held on to that of how do you live that life? And I've always tried to be super generous, super authentic with my connections. I don't like to be transactional unless it's purely transactional. But if there's another human in a relationship there to be nurtured, that's what I'm going to do. You know, if it, you know, if I'm buying, you know, shoes at Nike, like, I mean, this is just transactional, like have a good day cashier, but like, you know, we yeah. don't need to go deeper. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, essence, it was, it was bizarre. So that was a really weird time of my life. My mom had just gone into the hospital in February um, of last year and I got an email from a writer at Essence and it said, hi, you, it was me and two other people um, that I knew or one person I knew, one person I didn't know. And I was reading who it was from. And I remember getting the email and said, oh, you've been selected for this. We'd love to feature you. And I remember thinking like, is this a joke? This is a prank. I like looked at the email and everything. I looked her up on LinkedIn. I'm like, this isn't real. Like someone's going to steal my card information somehow or hack my computer. Um, and Essence has a partnership with New Voices. And New Voices is a spinoff of 1863 uh, Ventures and uh, Richard Lee Dennis, who's the um, founder of Shea Moisture. And Melissa Bradley is the managing partner at 1863. And her and I got to know each other because I was selected for a pitch competition at a conference. And we got to know each other, got to talking, collaborated, we connected on things. And I hadn't talked to Melissa in about a year, maybe. And when I saw this, I thought, Mm -hmm. this is Melissa. Like Melissa remembered me, Melissa wanted to give me that. (laughs) That feature, and I and I shout out to Melissa Bradley. She's one of the most amazing people of all time. Um, and what's the funniest thing about that feature <laughs> was my friend's kids. My uh, friend's kids at the time they were nine and, and five, and mm-hmm. the youngest one thought I was famous, and the oldest one wanted to know how I knew Cardi B <laughs> because Cardi B was on the cover of that issue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, these kids have a great idea of who I am. Like, I'm, I want to let, the way they see me, I want to see me that way. But, you know, it was, it was, it was right. awesome. It was awesome to literally go to the store. You know, it's like when you're a kid, you imagine that moment. At least some kids do. But, you know, you go to the store, you find the magazine, you flip to the page, and there, there you are. There you are. And that was, 
That was super cool. Yeah. It was one of those things that, you know, I think that's the only thing I wish my mom had got to see because she loved Regan Essence. Mm. Loved it. Um, yeah. But I remember I got an advanced copy um, before it came out and I, um, her casket had a little uh, keepsake thing. And so I put it, put it in. Mm. So, but I think that's, that's my only oh, thing nice. that, that grinds me up about that. But, um, but it was mm -hmm. definitely highlight of life. And I think when you are creative and you put yourself out there in any capacity, I don't care what it is. Um, you open yourself up to scrutiny and you can have people mm -hmm. hating on you saying, Oh, it wasn't that successful or oh, you didn't do this. But what you can always say is I did the thing. I didn't just talk about it with my yeah. friends. I didn't just like rage tweet mm -hmm. about it. I did the thing. And for me, I can always say like, mm -hmm. I was in a national magazine, bro. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> This is like, you know, this is, this is a peak moment. So, um, but it was definitely a surreal encounter. And I didn't tell anybody when it was happening um, until it happened. Mm. And then they were all like, what? I'm like, mm -hmm. but yeah, so that was, that was a really fun, fun experience and a testament to being true to yourself and being authentic and being genuine because Mm -hmm. That wouldn't have happened without Melissa and that wouldn't have happened without our connection and our camaraderie. So be nice to people. Yeah. That's definitely an important thing. Definitely just in general, be nice to people. But I think you get a lot of um, opportunities and, um, you know, things that you would never think or thought that you would be a part of uh, by being nice to people. And so try to tell people some people that but they don't really take what mm -hmm. i say into consideration they're just evil um <laughs> uh, i wanted to um ask you did you want to talk about your book a little bit more um because you know i wrote a book so i wanted to hear from you like what was that experience like because i know you took some time off to um i guess do life and then you came back and finished it but uh what was that process because my book is more like a textbook so how was it writing a a novel i think of all the things that have happened to me in the past call it five years pandemic excluded um mm -hmm. i think that's the craziest most surprising thing to happen um because i wrote a lot mm -hmm. growing up and i actually had a book deal when I was 17 for a totally different story. Um, and oh my God, I, can't, this... <laughs> I can't tell you Angelique, what? why <laughs> I've, I've had a weird life. It's been, it's been bizarre, but I can't tell you why I didn't sign the book deal, but I, I was 17. I needed my parents signature. And at the time I was very insulated. I insulated myself mm -hmm. from my family. Um, and so I didn't want to do it oh, okay. and I've always kicked myself about that. And, um, you know, at some point as you know, your adult life changes, changes, you know, your focus changes. And I started to tell myself that I don't have any more stories to tell. You know, I wrote, I wrote articles for the blog, but that's different. You know, that's sort of anecdotal things, but a full fiction story I didn't really think that I had anything in there. And, uh, you know, they always say that art tends to come from pain. And so uh, a heartbreak mm -hmm. and a deep crush and a Louis Capaldi song sort of spawned this, this book. And um, <laughs> it was cathartic in the craziest way possible. It is dedicated to my exes, good and bad, because something that happened between each of us appears at some point in that book, some very, very subtly mm -hmm. and some like, Ooh, this is a deep cut. I know exactly who that is. Like my friends would know who that is. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a, it was a fun process because I got to create before we started, I told you that I would have been a performance painter. Um, if I didn't have a dad that was mm -hmm. obsessed with making money. 
And, you know, I, I wish I had this confidence and the super swagger that a few drinks, a few liquid courage, I could do it, but just every day playing me. No, I'm just such an awkward turtle. I'm just such an awkward turtle. It's embarrassing. Um, and so I created this character, Viv, who embodies exactly that. It's exactly who I thought I would be when I grew up. Um, just the total badass. Uh -huh. Um, but her love interest, Ryan, Ryan represents the little girl that I was growing up. You know, Ryan has a very, mm -hmm. uh, misogynist father who wishes that she had, that he had a son instead of a daughter, which is why her name's Ryan. Cause he was not given up that name that he wanted. Um, and mm. it's really about Viv coming from this ultra liberal, free spirited, free flowing kind of life. And Ryan coming from this very conservative sort of closed off sort of narrow life. And that's, that's the love story. And so it's really a love story between my outside self and my inside self, which as a writing process, wildly uh, mm -hmm. confusing, wildly confusing. I'm like, I'm losing my mind. I don't know who's talking now, <laughs> but I have to think as both me's and make this story work. Yeah. But, but it's, it's a love letter to San Francisco, my hometown. It's a love letter to New York city. Uh, where I went to grad school. Um, it's a thank you next. That is the politest way I can say that to my exes. Um, okay. And and it's a, it's a story about the lies we tell ourselves. At the end of the day, it's a love story, mm -hmm. but it's really about the stories we create and the narratives we create, which influence our decisions for better and for worse. It's called Immersive Love. I will also give you that link. It's immersivelovebook.com. It's there. I think it's great. There are also a lot of very steamy scenes in there that are written by women for women. So just FYI, it's very different. It's very accurate. <laughs> so just throw it out there. It's not for, it's, it's PG-13. Let's put it that way. It's PG-13. Okay. Cool, cool. It sounds very interesting. I always love the creative um, thought that goes behind like a lot of art or most art. I guess it's, it's not art if it doesn't have a creative creative um, intentions behind it or some type of symbolic. Um, but, you know, so and people interpret things different way when you put it out there. So some some people might read it and it'd be very literal for them. But, you know, you ex you explaining the um, thought process behind it and what your intentions were and, and all that stuff. Um, it sounds very interesting. So I'm going to have to get a copy and check it out. Yep. Yep. I'll be happy to send you one. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to touch on? I know we talked about a lot of different things here today. I think... I think maybe just a small touch on, on, on North Star and just changing okay. changing career paths or, cha or changing. I think that's probably the only thing. So I think that's something that okay. in my twisty oh, turning life. Yeah. yeah. I think um, my background, if anybody reads it, my bio, it is, it's wild. It is a, a nonlinear path. <laughs> it, makes some pieces tie together and some are like, wait, I'm confused. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the North star is always super important. Like your why, like, why are you doing this? I cannot tell you how many lawyers I know that if I ask them, if you could do it all again, would you be a lawyer? Most of them have told me no. If you ask some law students, how's law school? Do you want to be a lawyer? A lot of second and third. Right. They ask someone, are you going to drop out of law school? They say no. And you say why? And it's like, oh, because I'm already halfway in. I'm already halfway through. I've already spent all this money. I already have all this debt. And again, debt is nothing to be taken lightly, but you're going to trade however many thousands of dollars of debt for a lifetime of misery or you've been 10 years in this field and you hate it and you're not going to start over because you've put in your dues, you've done this. And some people can't, some people are not in a position where they can do that. But if you can, 
mm-hmm. why are you still there? Like, fo- like follow yeah. it. Like, go figure it out. You can always go back to this thing you hate. I can always go back to development. I can always build buildings. I can always hate it. And I can always make money doing it because I know how to do it. But, mm-hmm. you know, we don't. Regret is probably one of the worst things in the world. And for me, I try to live my life mm-hmm. and pursue things where when I get there, when it's my time that I don't, I have as little regrets as possible. Like what's past is past. I can't change any of that stuff. But going forward, I mm-hmm. want to know that I took the leaps or I tried or I at least got the clarity versus being too scared to do something. So always follow that North Star and always just go find out. The worst thing that could happen is you're right back where you started. It's not the yeah. worst thing in the world. I think there's some some great advice to leave um, the listeners with. I do want to get into my little um, lighten up section of the show. Hopefully my yep. microphone bears with us. I'm trying not to move now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're good in this position. Stay here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm trying to like make the most minimal movements as possible. Um, so what are some things that you do for self-care? Oh man. So self-care, two of the biggest things. Um, I go sit by the water a lot. I will often go out there with nothing and just stare at the water and people watch and mm-hmm. make up stories about the people that are there, or I'll bring a book and read for a minute, but I don't do work at the beach. I it's that's the no i go to the water that's what calms me um my other favorite zen thing is i'll go horseback riding because when i was a kid um they took us to this ranch in oakland and i'll never forget they said you know horses can sense fear so if something bad is something Mm -hmm. scary is happening around you if you're scared the horse is going to be scared if you're calm the horse is going to be calm And there's always been something about being on an animal that's so powerful and guiding it and Mm -hmm. being one with it and making sure you have to control your emotions. So literally you don't die. It almost happened to me in the water. My horse ran into the ocean. It was a mess. It was a storm coming. Horse freaked out. But I remember in that moment, oh, it was was bad. The other horses were smart and ran up the beach. (laughs) My horse ran into the ocean. I am a statistic. I cannot swim. Okay. So this is, we're going down. Okay. All right. And, you know, I saw, and I remember, I remember that lesson, the first horse lesson, like be calm. And so I saw a big wave come off to the side and I thought, oh my God, this horse is going to freak out. I'm okay. Be scared. They're like right now. Okay. Stop being scared. And then I like wrapped my arms like in the rain. So I like had like a good grip. The horse goes into the water. It like jumps up, like, mm-hmm. like, hooves up in the ocean and I'm like trying to tuck it down like we're fine you're gonna be okay you're gonna be all right it's fine it's fine come on let's go and we get it back to the I get it back to the shore and our guide is there just like clapping I'm like you were supposed to save me you stayed on the shore while I did this but (laughs) (laughs) that experience is aside horseback riding has always been very calming very zen uh very chill so those are those are my big self cares. I do try to get a monthly massage because I have some knots that live in my shoulders I can never get rid of. Um, but I have, I, have, mm-hmm. I have a few of them, and that's a that's progress. I never. When people used to ask me what do you do for fun, I would pause for like five minutes because I'm like trying to come up with something else that's not drinking. So I'm like, that's a bad answer. I can't say that. <laughs> I just met this person. I'm gonna have an intervention by the time this is over. <laughs> So speaking of drinking, what's your go-to drink? What kind of night is it? Oh, God. You give me the question. That's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's like tequila and, you know. um, Okay. If we are... So I was like a Friday night, you know. um, Okay, okay. Uh, if, If I'm just chilling... And I'm not really trying to turn up, so to speak. Is I'm having a beer. I'm having 
Mm -hmm. I'm having a lager, preferably an okay. amber, um, German style Hefeweizen. Those are my faves. Um, if we're like going up, pineapple juice and tequila. Best drink ever. Mm -hmm. I, lit I literally call nice. it my go-go juice. So great. So dangerous. So great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see if I actually ever had pineapple juice. I've had to have had pineapple juice and tequila as much tequila as I've drunk in the past. I, you, um, you'd be surprised. A lot of orange juice is really popular for tequila. So. Yeah. You'd be very surprised. I've Doesn't had that tequila sunrise. Mm-hmm. And what, what, so do you listen to music while you work? Yes, it depends on what I'm doing. Again, different, different, different things, mm. different, different music for different things. Okay. So if you're, you're doing some coding. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I have to either listen to like, a, I have to go to my happy place and listen to like a 90s playlist or okay. uh, I or I am going back to my roots and I'm listening to Bay Area hiking music because it'll put me in a good mood and I can do anything mm. when I'm listening to that. I can do any boring, stupid task with either of those two options. Now, what does Bay Area hiking music sound like? Are you not familiar with the stylings of Too Short? <laughs> oh, uh, actually, yeah. Too Short. Well, too, too Short. Too Short's from the Bay. He he. Any Too Short fans out there? He does do hiking music, but he he has a very different sound. But it is a a lot, a lot of like sirens, sounds, a lot of synth, a lot of bass, and literally every single song has one to four of the following things. Guns, drugs, most likely perp, uh, sex, and scrapers. One to four of those things shows up in mm. every hypey song. So if you're interested, the team, the federation, keep the sneak, these are all oh, you know, quintessential. I thought you said hiking, hypey, like going hypey. on a hiking. Oh, oh that's what I'm thinking. Oh, like God. the, the oh, God, no. like green socks and... Like, what does hiking music sound like? Okay. I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't know. That's why I was lost. I was like, too short? Okay. No, I was no, like, no. I don't really know. I don't know too short as well as I thought <laughs> I did. Know, like, you can got some, some cross-genre stuff. <laughs> Listen, give me some instrumental blow the whistle. Let's go walk in nature and find out. <laughs> Let's find out. And then you started like talking about perp and sex and guns. I was like, damn, like what kind of hike is this they're going on? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> that would be a great crossover genre of like a hiking horror film featuring like right. that type of music. <laughs> exactly. It's like, is this a hike through like oh. Crenshaw or Skid Row or something? I, right? I have no idea. Like, okay. A, I was like, I definitely horror, have to do some research on this when I get off this call. Yeah, it's a, it's a horror, horror hike through the hood. That's what Jordan this is. Jordan Peele, where you're at. <laughs> Seriously, let's, let's send him this idea. I think he could do something with it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. He's going to get and be like, nope. For real. Um, <laughs> what? Um, okay, so we got the music. We're going we're gonna to do a couple of these would you rather. Um, would you rather work for Google or Facebook? Google. Mm. Okay. Let me see if I can find another good one here. Would you rather be a miserable genius or a happy moron? Oh, a happy moron. They say ignorance is bliss and this for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All day. Give it to me. Um, <laughs> would you rather see how or what created civilization or see how or what ends civilization? What's the, what's the first option? 
um, see how or what created civilization or um, what ended it or who ended it? Uh, I'd rather see what ends it because I think knowing the truth would offset too many long-held beliefs and I'm not down for the universe to continue to ruin my life. So no, just show me how it ends. And hopefully it's in a timeline that I'm okay. no longer alive already. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader? That's a good one. Oh God. I'd rather talk like Yoda because that's just great. Like talking in riddles and pissing people off. That sounds fun. <laughs> At least I can get um, my words out. With Darth with Darth Vader, yeah, I got so much of... pausing. It's like <laughs> All right. <laughs> um it reminds me of an episode of Golden Girls when Blanche tells Sophia, she's like, um, I thought because you looked like Yoda, you were wise like him. So it was, um, so I'm going to say, I got to use that one. Um, one more. Let's see if I can find a good one. Hmm. Would you rather have bad breath or smelly feet? Smelly feet. Yeah, I think you could hide that better than the breath. Mm -hmm. All righty, Angelique, I appreciate you being on the show. Do you want to tell the people, um, the listeners, what other entrepreneurship things that you have going to like? Yeah, you guys, you have to check her her profile out. If you're on um, Polywork, check her out. On Polywork, I'm kind of doing part of what I'm going to ask you here in a minute, but um, check her out on Polywork. That profile is crazy um we could be on here talking this could be like one of those joe rogan podcasts because there's just so much <laughs> to dig into um i saw something like forbes or like um, a conference or something mm -hmm. you went to on your profile mm -hmm. that you um it's just it's just crazy like this is the most interesting woman in the world we're going to give her that hashtag that that title um I'll take it. I'll and take it. I've gotten a lot of other titles on. before. You'll take it? <laughs> so it's better than some other ones I've gotten, so I'll take it. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> so just, just tell the people like what you have going on, if you have anything that you want them to know about and where they can reach you at. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to keep up with what I'm doing, then you can check out my personal site, IamAngelique.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-I-C. It's spelled the biblical way, pronounced the French way. Um, if you want to see my latest offering, then you would go to ToxicAmbition.com. Or you can Google my full name and my entire catalog will pop up and you can find me there. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at North of Oblivion. Again, it's just North of and Oblivion, all one word. And that's how you can find me. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I'm pretty responsive. I'm just a giant nerd with way too many dreams. So, but I'm also going to add <laughs> hashtag most interesting woman in the world to a profile somewhere. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we didn't talk about your latest thing. I want to talk about that really quick and I'll edit it in the conversation somewhere, um, cool, cool. your your course. Cool. Could you talk about that really quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the course was really born out of, again, my own personal struggle, kind of everything we talked about with the injury and thinking about what to do next with life and mm -hmm. not really knowing what I want to do. And the course was really just kind of a lifelong thing. I wrote an article about it. A few years ago, I think it was 2018, 2018 or 2019, I wrote this article and I was just talking. I was just, I just needed to get it out. Um, I just needed to share what I was thinking because it was driving me crazy that I let my life get so out of control. And I just shared it with a couple of friends and they were like, oh my God, this is me. And I shared it in some groups and they were all like, oh my God, this is me too. Like this, I didn't realize other people were struggling. And what the course does is it really creates a framework 
for you to go and find your why. Like we talk about unhealthy goal setting, healthy goal setting, perfectionism, boundaries, you know, how to, how to find your own why, like how to find the root cause on your own and how to keep your ambition in check. Cause there's no silver mm-hmm. bullet. You're always going to be, if you're ambitious now, you're always going to be ambitious. It's just about finding the balance and keeping it in check. And so really it's built for busy, busy people. Um, it's the exact same content. You can either do it in a structured six week course where each week a new module will drop, or you can do the on-demand model. So you can do all the lessons at once, none of the lessons, three of the lessons, whatever you want to do. But it's a mix of short videos by me, doing voice, uh, voiceover, uh, some worksheets that are really about you doing the work, uh, and then some independent work to think about throughout the week. And I will tell you, I have had friends. Come on, Ian, let's do the work. Course. Do the work. I've had some friends and colleagues take the <laughs> course and literally say, oh, the videos are so great. And then I get to the worksheets and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and, you know, it's none of it is <laughs> none of it is rocket science, but it's really it's it's hard because when we think about mm-hmm. our why these things get scary and then our body senses it as a threat. And so you want to go into defense. And so your brain's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're going to go distract with this other thing. We're going to go doom scroll IG for another two hours instead of thinking about this thing. And the reality is most Mm -hmm. of the issues lie underneath that. And so it's really just taking the time to sit there and think about it. When I started doing meditation, I tried it once. I freaked out from what I was feeling and I was so pissed. I'm like, I can't even meditate right. And I was so upset. I didn't try it for another year and a half. And then I... Finally tried it again. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. It's okay. And it's like, oh, this is just something that you're not, like most things you're not good at right away. You have to keep trying and get used to it. And that's sort of what the course does. It sort of spoon feeds sort of that uncomfortableness in a way where you can start to get into the bigger, hairy, more audacious things. And if you don't do it, you're always going to stay surface level. I hate to talk in absolutes, but honestly, if you don't go inside, Whatever it is, you will always stay at surface level. You will never get to the root why. And you can change your career. Mm-hmm. You can change your industry. You can change your you know, type of work you do, the country you live in. But you can't outrun yourself. You will always come back. And if you right. don't address the root cause, it'll come up again. So do as I say, not as I did. We think of... Avoids avoids the major burnouts. <laughs> avoid the flame out. Um, yeah, I will uh, provide a discount code for your listeners that we can put in the show notes. Also, um, but yeah, that is that's that's the course, and it's it's really again born out of personal experience, research, and again, I, I've walked this life, and I'm actively trying every day to keep my life healthy and balanced and not drain myself. I still have my passion projects. I still do things. I'm not sitting on my hands, but I also keep my body clock in check and really think about what am I doing? But more importantly, why am I doing that? And does this fill me up? And if it doesn't, cut it. Period. Nice. So Angelique, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you hanging in there with me through all the technical difficulties and everything. It's been a really insightful um, info. So, so I appreciate you sharing your story with me and the listeners. And I think that they can take a lot away from what we went over today. I hope so. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Have a good day. You too.